This morning, if you've got your Bible, you can uh, open up to the book of 1 Peter. You'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. The 1 Peter is uh, way back in uh, the back of your Bible. It's going to be after Hebrews and James and uh, right in front of 2 Peter. Uh, that probably doesn't help very much. But before 2 Peter and 1, 2, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. So way back towards the back of your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 to 12. Uh, the uh, words will also be on the screen if you need it uh, behind me uh, as well. I'm going to read the text. And I'm going to pray and ask for God's help. And then we'll jump in this morning. As you can see, it's Vision Sunday this morning. I'll explain what that means here in just a second. But uh, first, let me read the passage and pray and ask for the Lord's help. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Lord, I thank you for your word. Um, God, I thank you that your word is living and active, that your word has the power to save, transform. God, just in our scripture reading this week, we read about how by your word, you created everything that exists. You said, let there be light, and there was light. And in the same way, those of us who are born again, those of us who are Christians, you caused us to be born again to a new and a living hope in the same way. You said, let there be light in our souls, and there was light. You, you awakened us from our spiritual death. You raised us up from the dead and made us alive by your grace. And God, your word is also able to build us up, to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus. And so I pray that you would do that through the power of your word this morning, O oh God. I am just a vessel, a jar of clay. God, please, I pray that everyone here, that all of us, that, that we would be captivated by Christ this morning. Not Jared, not 
Pillar San Antonio, but that Jesus, you would captivate us. May you be exalted. That's why we're here, to know you, Jesus, and make you known in San Antonio and around the world. Oh, how I long for that to be the case today and every single day in the life of this church. God, would you please be in our midst? And I know you are, as, we're, as we just read about in your word. We are your spiritual house. You're in our presence. You're in our midst. Thank you for that privilege. Help us now um, as we study your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, um, those of you don't don't know, this is, uh, this is our first Sunday back here in this space. We were at Stevens High School, uh, and for a lot of various reasons, uh, we decided to transition back here, uh, and we're grateful for this space. Uh, and I don't know what the future holds uh, exactly. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know I'm excited about what God's doing at this church, and I'm excited about the future. And this morning, uh, the first Sunday in 2024, we're calling it Vision Sunday, uh, and I just want us to, uh, to take a step back and think about what are we asking God to do in the life of this church? What are we praying towards? Uh, some of you know our mission. You've heard us say our mission statement to know Jesus and make him known. Our mission is, is what we do as a church. Our vision is where we are going. So it's what we're praying for and it's what we're working towards by God's grace. It's what we're asking God to do this year and really in the years to come. And so I wanted to share with you our vision uh, statement um, this morning, and it's this. We desire to be a growing family of Jesus followers, making a difference in our community, and making disciples of our neighbors. We want to be a growing family of Jesus followers, making a difference in our community, and making disciples of our neighbors. Every single word and clause in that is purposeful. There's really not a lot of wasted space. So we want to be a growing family. But we want to genuinely love one another and be a place to belong in an area where community is hard to come by. You know, we're surrounded by people, but people are isolated here. People are very isolated. There's a bunch of suburbs, a bunch of neighborhood developments. It's hard to know where one community begins and one ends. There's no city center or town square. There's a lot of isolation here. We want to be a place to belong in an area where community is hard to come by. But not just any growing family. We want to be a family of Jesus followers. We don't just come together for the sake of unity's sake. We come, we unite around Jesus. So we want to be people who long to know Jesus and who make Jesus known by our holy lives and also by declaring his excellencies, as Peter says. But we want to make a difference in our community. We want to love and serve our community in such a way that even non-believers are glad that our church is here. Where if our church were to just close, were to close its doors, in, you know, a couple years from now, uh, that people would be upset that that happened, that people would be sad that Pillar San Antonio is no longer around. And we also want to make disciples of our neighbors. We want every single one of our church members devoted to sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with their friends, families, co-workers, so that we're regularly baptizing new believers into the church. We can't make any of that happen, obviously. Only God can do that by His grace, right? We do need to put effort towards it as God strengthens us and gives us grace, but ultimately, we've got to depend on the Lord in prayer. In, in, the, in today's passage, Peter is also casting vision to the church. He, he's reminding the believers he was writing to of their identity, 
and of what they've been called to. And because God's Word is living and active, this is also God's Word for us this morning. So I want to study the passage this morning, keeping our vision statement in mind, because our vision statement is really birthed out of passages like 1 Peter chapter 2. I, me and Andrew and John and Keith didn't sit around our, our, you know, a meeting one day and just come up with this stuff off the top of our heads. It's been birthed out of much prayer, out of much time in God's Word. I hope to show you that. So Peter uses two primary metaphors to describe the church in this passage. A spiritual building and a holy priesthood. And each of these sheds light on who the church is and on what God has done for us and on what we've been called to. And so I want to spend some time unpacking those. So first, let's consider the church as a spiritual house. Look again at verses 4 and 5. He says, Peter says, as you come to him, that is Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So that, uh, that uh, name, spiritual house, is a reference to the tabernacle or the temple, which was the dwelling place for God uh, in the Old Testament for the people of Israel. So in Exodus, after God delivered the people of Israel from Egypt, he gave them the law. He promised to be their God and to dwell in their midst. And his presence took up resonance first in the tabernacle when they were in the wilderness and then in the temple when King Solomon built a permanent structure and the presence of God inhabited the temple. And the people of Israel would come to the temple to worship God and to offer sacrifices, and that worship was mediated by the Levites, by the priesthood, and they were all devoted to various different aspects of worship. And the presence of the Lord was in the innermost part of the temple called the Holy of Holies, and only one person, one time a year, could go into the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And to even do that, he had to offer up sacrifices for his own sin and for the sin of the people. And the sacrificial system was put in place to teach the people of Israel that God is holy and we are not. And for a holy God to dwell in our midst, there has to be an atonement for sin. And so that system was put in place so that a holy God could dwell in the midst of his sinful people. And so I share that background with you because that's what makes... Pete, what Peter says, all the more striking. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, or a temple, or tabernacle. So God doesn't just dwell near you, or among you, but in you, and that's a plural you. In Texas, we would say, in y'all. God dwells in y'all. He's in our midst. So when we, when we talk about the church as a spiritual house, we have to, to start with the foundation for how that's even possible. Like, like, how is it possible that God dwells in us, that when the church gathers, the presence of God is really here among us? Well, it's as we come to Him, Jesus, the living stone that was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He was rejected and crucified by the Jewish religious leaders and the Gentiles, but in the sight of God, 
He was chosen and precious. God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. So the stone that was rejected by the builders, God made the cornerstone by raising him from the dead. And that word cornerstone, that's the, the foundation stone of a building, of the structure. It's the, it's the stone that's laid down first, and it's the stone by which all of the other stones are measured. He's the foundation. Jesus is the foundation of God's dwelling place, the church. Peter says in Acts chapter 4, when he was preaching to uh, the crowds and the Jewish religious leaders were there, he's speaking to the very builders who rejected Christ and had Him crucified, and he says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What this means is that the only way to become a part of God's building is to trust in Jesus. Our sin separates us from God. And the scriptures say that the wrath of God remains on us because of our sin. But through faith in Jesus, our sin can be removed. Because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, Jesus died on the cross to bear the punishment that we deserve in our place for our sin. So that rather than receiving what we rightly deserved, which was condemnation for our sin, we can instead receive the free gift of God, which is the righteousness of Jesus and eternal life in Christ. Jesus takes the judgment we deserved on himself, and he gives us the righteousness that he had earned, and he gives it to us as a free gift. And that is received by faith in him alone. That's why Peter says that those who believe in him, in verse 6, will not be put to shame. But those who reject the cornerstone, he says, stumble over him and are ultimately crushed. Another place in Scripture says are crushed by him in judgment. So what should you do if you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, if you're not sure whether or not you're a Christian? Well, Peter says in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Turn from rebelling against God, turn away from living in sin and running from Him, whatever that looks like, and call upon Him to save you. Call upon Him to forgive you and entrust your life to Him. Believe that Jesus' blood that He shed on your behalf is enough to cover your sin and you will be saved and he'll come into your life and he'll change your heart and give you a new heart and he'll put his spirit within you. That's how you enter into a relationship with God and become a, a part of God's family, the church. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't put it off. Come and if you've never done this or if you have questions, please come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Andrew or Pastor John. We'd love to talk more with you about taking next steps and following Jesus. But not only does the cross unite us to God, not only are we built upon Jesus as the cornerstone, but we're united to each other. Peter says that we're like living stones being built together. And Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 2. He, he says something similar 
He says, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this is a shared corporate identity. No one can be a spiritual house unto themselves. The church is the dwelling place for God, and that word church literally means assembly. It means gathering. So it's impossible for you to be an assembly on your own, sitting on the couch. Like, it requires other believers. That's what the church is. It's a gathering of Christians. This is the church. This is what we're doing this morning as we gather. We're not meant to live the Christian life in isolation. Just consider some of the things that happen when we gather. You could think of these as some of the blessings or benefits of of gathering together as the church. First of all, God is in our midst when we gather. The risen Christ is present amongst his people. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among us. And in the context of Matthew 18, he's not just talking about a random smattering of Christians. He's talking about the church. He's talking about a local church. So yes, God is omnipresent and he is everywhere, but his presence is manifest in a particularly special way when the local church gathers. God is here right now in a manifest way in which he is not when you're on the couch alone in your home. We encounter him when we gather together as the church. So that's good enough reason alone to want to gather with God's people because God is in our midst. But also, when we gather, we build each other up. Peter says we're being built up as a spiritual house. In Ephesians 4, Paul says that God has given us spiritual gifts so that the body builds itself up in love. The point is that you need the rest of the church and the church needs you. When you pray, when you sing, when you encourage somebody, when you listen attentively to God's word, even when you show up, it encourages the other believers. It's what spurs us on. One of the things I love the most about the Sunday morning gathering is that I'm surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who encourage me with their faith and we sing spiritual truths and we read truth in God's word and I'm reminded that there are brothers and sisters all around me who are following Jesus, who are fighting sin, who are praying for me and it spurs me on to keep on going. I don't know what I would do without the local church. We need each other and the church needs you. And we bear each other's burdens when we gather together. We're not meant to walk through suffering alone. Just this week in our our life group, our, our life group prayed for me and encouraged me as I've been going through a difficult week myself, and, and they bore my burdens with me. They cared for me. Jesus was ministering to me through my brothers and sisters in Christ in our life group. When we gather, you can be encouraged and you can be an encouragement to others. So, When we say that we're a growing family of Jesus followers, that's what we mean. It's not just talk, by the way. Jesus, in Mark chapter 3, which is also from our Bible reading plan this week, Jesus, uh, when his family came to get him, they thought he was crazy. Uh, They're like, we got to get Jesus out of here because he's going nuts and he's embarrassing the entire family. And they're like, hey, Jesus, your family's here. And Jesus looks around and he goes, looks at his disciples and he says, what are you talking about? These guys are my family. 
these are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. And then he said, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. You see, it's not just a metaphor or talk for Jesus. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are actually your blood family and not just physical blood. We're talking about the blood of Jesus, eternal blood. We're more family than your biological family is. It runs that deep. It's not just talk. We're a growing, we desire to be a growing family. And that's why we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we encourage you to go to, to, to commit to a life group throughout the week. Second Sunday prayer, it's not to give you something to do. It's not to fill the calendar. It's not, well, that's, that's what churches do, so I guess we better have a life group or, you know, small groups. No, like we need each other. We want to meet with God. We need to bear one another's burdens. That's why we do it. So it's by way of application. I want to encourage you in this season, in 2024, gather consistently, but gather expectantly. God is going to be there when we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ. His word is going to be read. We get to talk to him in prayer. So when you get up on a Sunday morning, like get up going, I want to go meet with God. I want to go meet with God. It's not just drudgery. It's not a responsibility. I'm not, we don't go to church because, you know, God will be pleased with us and we'll, you know, earn brownie points and hopefully make it to heaven. That's works righteousness. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We gather because we want to meet with God and we need each other. Amen. Now I mentioned earlier that we're we're a growing family, but we're a growing family of Jesus followers. So we don't stop following Jesus when the gathering is over. We don't only follow Jesus here in this moment. We follow him throughout the week. A healthy church needs living stones being built up, and we can't grow without abiding in Jesus. Now, there's a lot of application that could be made here, but I think I would argue that the single most important habit you can build into your life as far as spiritual disciplines go for you to grow in your walk with the Lord is daily Bible reading, daily Bible intake. You need to be in God's Word. And I think Peter would agree. Uh, look again at verses 2 and 3. Look at what he says. He says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, in context, if you read the end of chapter 1, Peter has just finished talking about how we have been born again through the living and the abiding Word of God. He's been talking about the Word of God, and so this pure spiritual milk that he's referring to is God's Word. And he, he calls us to long for it, and we are to grow up into salvation by reading, meditating on, and, and applying God's Word to our lives. Those who have tasted the goodness of God naturally long to know Him more. Infants crave their mother's milk. They cry out for it instinctively. And so does a Christian for the Word of God. Psalm chapter 119 is just a wonderful chapter and one verse that's always it's been so striking to me is verse 20, where the psalmist exclaims, My soul is consumed with longing for your word at all times. Wow. That's challenging. That's a challenging verse. Can you say that? That your soul is consumed with longing for his word at all times? 
Do you crave God's word or is reading the Bible more like eating your vegetables? More drudgery than delight. There's lots of potential causes of this for a lack of desire for God's word. I'll mention a couple. One could just be a a dull appetite due to spiritual junk food. We spend too much time on screens, TV, phone, video games, and Satan will parade whatever he can before our eyes to turn us away from God's word. And it works shockingly well. But it's like subsisting on, on a diet of spiritual popcorn and candy, and eventually you're going to end up with a spiritual stomach ache. And ultimately, it can be fatal if we continue down that road. It can be spiritually fatal because I'm just going to be honest with you, you can't survive spiritually if you continue on in neglect of God's Word. We need it. It's like the bread of life. If we stop eating, eventually we're going to be malnourished and we're going to waste away. But it may not be a dull appetite. It may be that you have been thinking of the Bible as a burden rather than good news. The Bible is not a list of, of rules for you to incorporate into your life so that you can have a better life. It's not like the advice column in the newspaper. It's like the breaking news that's on the front page telling you who God is and what God has done. That's what the Bible is meant to do. I like how Dane Ortland, he's an author and a pastor, put it. He said, read the Bible not mainly asking how to live, but what it shows us about a God who loves to save and about sinners who need saving. So the Bible is not like this weighted backpack that you need to strap on. All right, I got to strap on my Bible reading in 2024. Just another thing to do in my busy life. Another responsibility. I'm going to have to wake up earlier. I'm going to be tired. Boy, this is going to be tough, but I'm going to suck it up for Jesus and I'm going to do my Bible reading. That is not what it's meant to be. No, the Bible is like a pack mule that you can take all of your burdens off and lay it on so that you're free. The Bible is good news. We are, we're changed and we grow up into salvation not as we work hard to obey commands, but as we behold the face of Christ in God's Word. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Layman's terms, as you look to Christ in His Word, as you stare at Him, as you marvel at Him, you become more like Him. You're changed into his image. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It is not a heavy yoke. My prayer is that we would fall in love with God's word and hunger for it like honey. We've mentioned before, if you need help, sometimes just having a Bible reading plan or something can be helpful. We've got a Bible reading plan that you can download on the front page of our website if you scroll down. Uh, or you can pick up a physical copy on your way out. Read the Bible with us in 2024. You can do the Old and New Testament, or if you feel like that's a little ambitious for you right now, then you can just do the New Testament readings only. But let me encourage you to begin reading through the Word of God. We're a spiritual house, but Peter also describes us as a holy priesthood. In verse 8, Peter says that Those who reject Jesus stumble because they disobey the word 
as they were destined to do. But then in verse 9, he says, but you, but you, believers, you, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, Peter's drawing on Exodus chapter 19 here, where the Lord told Israel after the Exodus that they would be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And God gave them the law, and Israel was meant to mirror God to the surrounding nations so that they could see and come to know God and His glory through Israel. And obviously, Israel failed in doing that. And subsequently, they went into exile. But now, Peter's saying the church of Jesus Christ is the royal priesthood with God's law written on our hearts. And we mediate the blessings of God to the nations by reflecting His glory, both in our holy conduct and by proclaiming His excellencies, as Peter says there in verse 9. So, in layman's terms, the nations will come to know God through the church's testimony of our lips and our lives. They will hear about Jesus from us, and they will see Jesus' character in us, in the way that we walk, in the way that we live godly lives, in the way that we love our neighbor. Let's let's look at uh, those two things in turn briefly here. Peter says that God has made us a people for His possession. First, that you may proclaim His excellencies. So one of the reasons that God has saved us and set us apart is so that we can tell the nations about who He is and what He's done. In Mark chapter 1, once again, plug for our Bible reading plan. You notice I keep doing that? I'm just encouraging you. Do that Bible reading plan from this week. Mark chapter 1, when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and James and John, he, he calls them to follow Him in discipleship. And how does He summarize it? Do you remember? Follow me and I will teach you what? So yeah, but to become fishers of men, that's right. Isn't that interesting that that's how Jesus summarizes what it means to be His follower? To be a disciple? To be a fisher of men? So telling people about who He is and what He's done seems to me to be a pretty integral part of what it means to be a Christian. Does it not? It seems to be a pretty important part of what we do as the church. And here's the deal. We don't do this because it's our duty or because we have to. We proclaim as we reflect on all that He has done. Who are we proclaiming? The excellencies of Him who what? He called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Like That's good news. That's pretty incredible. So if you're lacking motivation to share the gospel, or maybe you're even repelled at the thought of evangelism, I would just encourage you to look to Jesus. Remember what He's delivered you from and what great cost your deliverance came at. Earlier in chapter 1, Peter says that you were ransomed from your futile ways, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That was the cost at which we needed to be purchased out of sin and out of death and out of slavery, and God plucked us out of the midst. Do you remember what it was like to be in darkness? 
Do you remember what it was like to be without hope and without God in the world? And here's the deal. Even if you don't, even if you've been following Jesus since you were seven years old, the reality is, is whether you remember it or not, that was true of you at one time before you came to know Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, Jesus too says. Having, you were, having, had no hope and without God in the world, but God made you alive. He brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so that's why we share. That's why we proclaim it. Uh, I thought about Jesus uh, in Mark chapter 5 uh, when uh, he delivers the demoniac. And uh, after he delivers him, this man that was possessed by demons, he says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Guys, I think sometimes we just overcomplicate evangelism. It's really not that complicated. It's about going and telling others how wonderful and how good God is and how He has delivered us through the death and resurrection of Christ and He wants to do the same thing for you. It's it's like if, you've probably heard this analogy before, but if there were a plague going throughout the community and you found a cure and you were healed, you're going to go and share it with others. That's just naturally what you're going to go do in excitement because you found this cure. You want others to be healed as well. I think that our difficulty often lies when it comes to uh, not sharing the gospel, things like that. I think it often lies not in a lack of love for the lost. I think most believers, most of us, we, we care about the plight of the lost, probably not as much as we should. We probably, uh, one of my prayers is that the Lord will really impress upon our hearts the gravity of eternity in the coming days because we just get so distracted with all the things of the world and we don't realize how fleeting our lives are and how real eternity is, how horrific hell will be, how glorious heaven, the new creations will be. If we would just ponder that more often, I think we would probably have a much deeper concern for the lost, but Nevertheless, I do think that we have a concern for the loss, but I I think that our difficulty uh, lies in forgetting just how desperate our plight was before Jesus. And consequently, we look at family members who have a nice job and a good house and hobbies and, you know, they're having fun and we think they're not really in danger. But if they're outside of Christ, then they're on the precipice of eternal torment. And at any moment, they could draw their last breath and it will be too late. And we know Jesus, the one who can save them. And he saves by the gospel, by the preaching of the word, by the sharing of the good news. That's why part of our vision is to make disciples of our neighbors. Because we all have people all around us who need to know Jesus, who need to hear and I believe that the evil one, Satan, has lulled our society into sleep. We've got everything we need, or so we think. I mean, I can get out my phone right now and I can, you know, order a gallon of milk and it'll be on my doorstep in two hours. What do I need Jesus? What do I need God for? I got everything I need. This is how the world thinks. People need to understand and know that they have a desperate need for Christ. We need to proclaim His excellencies, but we also... If we proclaim His excellencies, but then we just go and live just like the world, then our testimony is not going to mean very much. We need to be holy. We need to be set apart. In verse 11, 
Peter says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So just briefly here, two things. There's a when it comes to living holy lives, set-apart lives, there's a, there's a negative and a positive component to that. Negatively, Peter says we need to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. People ought to see the character and the holiness of Christ in our conduct as they watch our lives. When our unbelieving neighbors spend time with us and observe us over time, they should take notice of how our speech is pure and it's not filled with cursing and slander and crude joking. They ought to see uh, us uh, uh, forgive and love our neighbors rather than seek to take revenge. They ought to see us flee from sexual immorality and violence rather than participate in it or be entertained by it as we watch shows that glorify it. We should stand out in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation as Paul exhorts the church in Philippi to do. And as they see us walking by the Spirit, albeit imperfectly. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're going to stumble. We will fall. But as they see us walking by the Spirit, they will see something of the character of God. And the hope is, is that some will see our good deeds and come to glorify God on the day of visitation. That's Peter's way of saying some will see Christ in us and come to trust in Christ themselves. And not everyone's going to respond well. You notice Peter says, when they speak against you as evildoers. And they called Jesus Beelzebub. They said, they told Jesus he had a demon. So we shouldn't expect less as his followers. Because no matter how godly we live, there's going to be some who, because Christ is in us, are going to reject us. But there's also going to be some who are going to be drawn to Jesus. But it's not just abstaining from the passions of the flesh. It's it's also positively weird to do good deeds and love our neighbor. I mean, that's what Jesus did when he came in his earthly ministry, is it not? What did Jesus spend his time doing? Did he, he the king of kings, did he come down and sit on a throne and have people wave, you know, fan him with palm branches and feed him grapes and stuff like that? No. He said the son of man came not to serve, but what? Uh, to, not to be served. Y'all are like, hey, pastor, what are you doing? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to, that's right, came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If Jesus came to serve, who are we to expect that we ought to live our lives being served? If he came to serve, certainly as his followers, we ought to serve. Now, there are a lot of ways you can do that. I want to share a couple of ways that just corporately as a church, we're seeking to do that. And then I want to give you a couple of ideas for how you can do that just in your home uh, with your neighbors. So we have two community partnerships as a church with Mernon Elementary, which is on Petrenko, just inside the 1604. And then we also have our foster care and adoption emphasis. Uh, God has opened the door for us to partner with Mernon Elementary. uh, And we have uh, service opportunities every single month over the next four months there. There's actually a little printout if you go to the connections table afterwards that you can take and it has the various ways that you can serve at Mernon Elementary. Uh, the next one's coming up February 12th. Uh, they've asked for volunteers to sit with the kids in the classrooms while the teachers get free massages from Massage Envy. So apparently they're bringing in a massage place, 
and they just need people to come and sit with the kids for 20 minutes in the classroom so that teachers can get a massage. Just a really simple way for us to serve the faculty there at the school. Uh, there's, other, there's other opportunities, but I'd encourage you to go and pick one of those up. And then we also have our foster care and adoption emphasis. So uh, you may or may not be aware, but uh, the foster care crisis in San Antonio is pretty great. Uh, there's about 4,000 children uh, in the foster system alone just in our city, uh, and we don't have enough foster homes. Many of those children have to sleep on the floor in social workers' offices. We need more foster families. By God's grace, there are three families in our church who are actively fostering, and we are thankful for them, and we long to have more. But one of the things that we need to do is we need to support those foster families. And so one of the best ways to do that is to get people in our church trained to be respite care workers. So you might not know this, but not just anybody can babysit for foster children. You actually have to go and get certified, and you have to take a class that's about a, a six-hour class. And, we, and, and I can tell you, my family has adopted. These foster families need respite care. They need help. And so we need families. You, maybe God's not calling you to foster, but you can do respite care. That's something you could do. So Saturday, February 10th, there's a training from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. The total cost, I think, is about 85 bucks, but here's what we're going to do. Our church is going to cover that cost for you. All you have to do is pay the $15 sign-up fee, and we're going to cover the rest of it, the CPR training and all that stuff, because we want to remove any barriers. We want you to be able to go and attend this class. It's an excellent way to serve foster families and to make a real impact in a great area of need in our community. So if you're interested, there's a sign-up sheet on the connections table. Just put your name and info down, and we'll reach out to you, okay? So those are two ways right there, two partnerships that God has opened the door for here at Pillar, that we can show the love of Jesus to our community. But it, I also want to emphasize that serving and loving our neighbors is not like a program in the church, okay? This is something we ought to be doing throughout the week in our lives. Here's something I want you to think about, a question I want you to ponder. Does your neighbor, and I'm thinking about your neighbor on your left, your neighbor on your right, your neighbor across the street, does your neighbor know that you love them? Do they know your name? Do you know their name? Do they know you love them? Have you shown them that you love them? I want to give you some ideas to encourage you to take that step. You could invite them for dinner. You could mow their lawn, offer to mow their lawn. You could offer to babysit their kids. You could bring them some home-baked goods or cookies. You could offer to pray for them when they're outside. Hey, I'm a Christian. I believe God answers prayer. Just wondering, is there a way I could pray for you? You could invite them to your life group that you're a part of. You could even start a Bible study on your own for your neighbors on your street. There are countless ways we can take practical steps to show our neighbors that we love them. So, what is one thing that you can do this month to show the neighbor that lives on your left and that lives on your right that you love them? That's what I want to challenge you to do and think about as we leave. And as we do this and we carry the gospel message with us, we'll make a difference in our community and we'll see disciples made of our neighbors. Guys, we want to be a growing family of Jesus followers, making a difference in our community, making disciples of our neighbors.
Uh, tangibly, there are a few things, specific things that we're asking God to do over the next five years as we envision the future. And I want to invite you to pray with us for these things. Um, and then we're going uh, to close out our time together. But I, I don't know if they're on the screen. I think we got a slide for this, don't we, guys? Um, so here's, here's what we're asking God to do over the next five years, specifically and tangibly, along with this vision statement. First of all, we're praying for one permanent meeting space. I'll be honest, God's going to have to do that. Don't know if you've seen how expensive real estate is, but it's expensive. But here's what I know. You can, even, you can go do this when you get home. You can go pull up Google Maps, and you go look at the west end of San Antonio and Google Maps, and you look from about here, and you start heading out west to the 211. All along the 211 in Petrenko, that intersection, there's not a single church out there. Like, I'm not saying not just a Baptist church, like no churches, nothing. What I've been praying for personally, and by the way, if you don't know, there are neighborhoods popping up like wildflowers out there too. People are moving in like crazy. What I've been praying for per personally is that God will give us a property out there on the 211 area. I don't know if he'll do it. I don't know. I know he can, uh, and I don't know how it'll happen, but I want to invite you to begin praying that now along with us so that we can meet the needs and minister and bring the gospel to all those thousands upon thousands of families that are going to be moving out there over the next five to ten years. Secondly, we want to send out two church plants. We're not here to build the kingdom of Pillar San Antonio. We're here to build the kingdom of God. I'm not interested in growing a big giant megachurch. I don't care about that. I'm interested in knowing Jesus and making him known and equipping everybody here to do the same. And not just here in San Antonio, but around the world. So John, raise your hand, John. John and Angie right here, and Caleb, their son, they're going to be going this summer. We're sending them to Colleen as they begin the process of planting a pillar church right there outside of Fort Cavazos in the Colleen area. That's going to be number one. We're praying for two over the next five years. Three, we're praying to see 50 new believers baptized. I long to see people come to know Jesus. Uh, and then four, that we would be 100% financially self-sustaining, mainly meaning that our congregation can support our own budget. So I want to invite you to pray these things with us. Would you do that in the coming year? Um, this week, uh, we're going to be having a week of prayer. And so uh, a way that you can help us get started in praying for these things is we're going to gather on Zoom every morning, Monday to Friday, from 6 to 6.30 a.m. I know that's early. It's a sacrifice. Uh, but we'd love for you to join us. Uh, and we're going to be praying for these things over our vision statement for our community. Uh, we're going to, the link will be sent out in the announcement email. We'll put it on our website. Um, and so you should be able to join us that way. We'd love for you to, to do that with us. Uh, and then we'll, next Sunday, we're going to fast together and break our fast at Second Sunday Prayer. So I really want to press in in prayer with the Lord this week, okay?